All right, well, we're glad you guys are here today. Again, especially if you're new, we're super excited that you are here with us. It's a beautiful day, so you could be a million places, but you're here with us. Uh, just as she said, this table is the last week. Uh, it's $25. Uh, Steve O'Keefe uh, built this table, and then we stole it from him, and it's been here ever since. But we are raffling this off, and all the proceeds go to some renovations we're doing this fall. I know a lot of people are like, what would I do with this table? you would find something. It's pretty awesome. And so you can do that through the app or you can stop by the Welcome Center and they can help set that up. But if you want to come look at it afterwards, uh, feel free. It is a beautiful table. Uh, And then I want to show you a picture real quick. This is Abby. Uh, Abby has been our intern all summer. So something you may not know is that every summer we bring on interns. Uh, Part of going to Bible college, you have to do a summer internship before you can graduate. And so last year we had Ryan. This year we have Abby. Uh, Abby has been living in my basement all summer. And uh, so anyway, so this is her last Sunday. She's made a great impact on students. Uh, One of the things that we love to do for our interns is to kind of send them off back to college. Uh, And so on the way out... Uh, by the Welcome Center, you can stop there. There's a little box there. You can put in some offering if you want to, just kind of like a love offering. There's also, because uh, we're in the 21st century, her Venmo is on there. And so you can send her some money, and that all goes to her. Uh, she's been a great addition this summer, and we look forward to see what God's going to do with her. Uh, she graduates next spring. Um, and so if you haven't, I know that your kids have got to meet Abby and have loved Abby, so you can stop and do that on your way out if you choose to. So we are in the second week of this Come and See series. Uh, And this series is based on this invitation that Jesus gives to his original followers. And it's a simple invitation. Uh, Jesus basically says that, you know, hey, if you want to kind of come see what this is about, just come and follow. And and these early followers of Jesus, they had questions about this and and they had some concerns about it. And we see that throughout the scriptures. And and so if you have questions or concerns about following Jesus, uh, you're in good company. So did most of the people, including his disciples that first kind of encounter him and Jesus' invitation is simply, come and see. And there's this great question that we ended on last week where one of his early followers asked this question, can anything good come from where Jesus came from? And and maybe that's the question that you wrestle with. Can anything good come from church? Can anything good come from religion? Can anything good come from this based on your past experiences? And the invitation is simply to come and see and to check it out. So we're going to be talking about that kind of idea, and so today I'm going to share with you um, one of my favorite stories. This is going to be a two-parter, and so today you're going to kind of see the setup of what's going to happen, and then next week uh, we're going to come back into this story. Uh, It's one of my favorite stories for many reasons, and we'll dive into that towards the end, Uh, but it takes place in John chapter 9, and so it says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who has been blind from birth. Now, important thing to realize, um, in their culture, somebody like this that was born with like this type of a disability, I mean, this was a very, very hard life, right? It wasn't like today where we try to help people and there's programs and there's even a school. If you didn't know, there's the Kentucky School for the Blind um, on Frankfurt Avenue. It's a beautiful campus if you've been there. Uh, We used to do some mission work down there when I was a teenager and we would go down there and we would spend some time and help at the campus. And and one of the things we do at the end of the night as we would play them in basketball, which sounds like a setup for a joke, right? Okay, that we're going to play the school for the blind in basketball. Well, their gym had been custom built to accommodate um, their blindness. And so there were like nubs on the floor and we played with a special ball and there were these panels so they could kind of hear where they were at on the court and they beat us. And uh, so anyway, yeah, it's a true story. And so anyway, uh, so but it's not like today. This was, I mean, this would have been and again, you got to imagine somebody with this disability that it's difficult for them. But in their culture, it would have been even more so, all right? And so they say, Rabbi, this is disciples, again, that word we used last week kind of means teacher. Why was this man born blind? 
Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus replies, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. And, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. And so there's this particular encounter with Jesus that to me I find fascinating. And we'll see why I even find it more fascinating towards the end. Um, but I think there's a couple important things as we kind of break this story down. The first of all, if you didn't notice, I love the language. Um, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw the blind man. Now, the context that we see is where they're walking at is an area where people would go and beg, and they would beg for help, and there's this pool of Shalom that's nearby. There's another famous biblical story that kind of surrounds that, and, and so they would go there, and they would beg, and they would pray for healing and all this stuff, and, and so what's interesting is it opens with this line that Jesus saw him, and I love that because I would imagine that this is a guy that was invisible to most people, that most people just walked right past him. It was just another day, just another beggar, just another person. And this guy probably felt invisible to most people. And Jesus actually sees him. And so Jesus sees him. And, and, and you got to imagine, let me paint this picture. Here's a man that's been born blind. So his entire life, he's been dealing with this. He's been struggling. He, he's had this, this problem. And not only was it a problem physically, but now emotionally and socially, there's all kinds of stigmas that came with that, as we're going to see in their culture. And so here it is, and let's paint this picture. This guy is standing there, sitting there, whatever he is, and he's begging. He's looking for help. And then all of a sudden, he kind of hears these murmurs in the crowd. And all of a sudden, there kind of becomes this excitement in the crowd. And all of a sudden, there kind of hears some language about this Jesus guy that, that at this point in the story has kind of built up a reputation. And he's not only built up a reputation as a teacher, but, but there's been these, these kind of stories that are starting to circulate about him possibly being a healer. In fact, there's been some stories at this point where, you know, he, he touches the leper and the leper becomes clean. Or he speaks to a paralytic and the person can get up and then walk. And there's even one story where there's a blind person that touches him, and all of a sudden his sight is restored. And so imagine that you're this guy, and all of a sudden you hear these kind of stories, and all of a sudden you hear that Jesus is close to you, and so maybe you're starting to get filled up with a little bit of hope that maybe today is going to be my day. Maybe today is going to be the day that this Jesus, this Savior, this teacher, this healer is actually going to touch me. And so they get closer and closer, and all of a sudden, you start to hear Jesus, and then you start to hear the disciples, and, and maybe there's all this buildup and all this excitement, and then you hear him talk right in front of you. And it's important to remember he's blind, not deaf, right? And here's the question. Whose fault is this, Jesus? This man that's born with this condition, that's had this miserable life to this point, is it his fault or his parents' fault? I mean, what a lack of utter compassion and empathy. He's simply become an object lesson, material for which they could expand their understanding of how God works in this world. Was he born blind because of his sins or his parents' sins? Now, when we break this down, a couple things. Um, what a horrible worldview. 
to kind of see this, and, and this, was the, this wasn't just the disciples, this was a common belief in their culture. And the, the sad thing is there's many people today that still kind of hold on to these beliefs. And so think about it. He was born blind. So, so he's been blind since birth. And so if you were born blind, this indicates a couple things for them, this kind of cause and effect. Um, first of all, um, th- this is kind of proof to some of them that you were under God's judgment, that there were some kind of consequences uh, of sin. And so they're trying to figure out who's to blame. But, but, but think about this. Like, I don't know about you, so I'll just speak about myself. I have done a lot of bad things in my life, Right? Anybody else? Just me? Okay, good. Um, So I've done a lot of things that I'm guilty of, and I've done a lot of things that there's nobody else to blame other than me making a bad or stupid choice. And and I realize that there's consequences for those choices that I make, and we all hopefully understand that. But he was blind since birth. So if he's being punished by being blind since birth, here's what that means, that he's being punished for sins he hasn't even committed yet. And that's a horrible way to view God. And if true, well, that's kind of a horrible God, isn't it? Or, or maybe even worse, it's not even sins that he's going to commit because we're all going to commit sins. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But, but, but it's because of his parents. It's because of something that they've done. And again, that's a really messed up worldview. And honestly, that's a messed up view of God. Now, one of the things we have to understand is there is some psychological and sociological connections we understand about the, the sins of our parents and us, or the sins of our fathers. And, and so maybe you know somebody like this, or maybe this is your story, where um, if you have somebody in your family that studies with alcoholism, uh, there is some correlation and tendencies between somebody that's born in that situation and maybe that being something that affects them. Or, or we know this, and maybe some of you have seen this, that if, if you know somebody that's been abused... Sometimes abusers abuse themselves because this is the pattern that they know. Or maybe if you know somebody that has anger issues or a temper, sometimes we pass that along to our children. And so there is some connections between the idea of we learn some of the sins and some of the shortcomings of our parents, but, but there is no connection for the idea of us being punished for that. And so that brings up a couple of ideas that they, that they bring up that I think we need to talk about as we kind of work through this story. And so the first idea is, so whose fault is it? Like, who's to blame? And here's what I'm learning about blame. And I don't know if you know this or not. Blame typically gets us nowhere, right? Blame typically doesn't get us anywhere. And, and so here are these people, and, and they're trying to figure out, well, whose fault is this? Let me, let me clue you in on something. Even if we could find out whose fault it is sometimes and who's to blame, because that's what we want to do. We live in a messed up world and we have messed up situations, so we want to blame somebody. And we always want to blame somebody else because, of course, it could never be our fault. But blame typically gets us nowhere. Not blaming other people. Not blaming God. And here's one for you. Not even blaming yourself. Living in this world where you just live in this shame and total condemnation of self typically doesn't get you anywhere. And sure, we have to grow and learn from our mistakes. And sure, we have to learn that there are certain people who are not trustworthy and we need to set up proper boundaries with those people. And sure, there are terrible, awful, tragic things that we go through that, to be honest, this side of life that I'm not sure we'll ever get the answers that we need or would want or desire. But blame typically doesn't get us anywhere. So even this question of, well, whose fault is it? Who are we to blame? Who is this guy to blame for his condition? Like, even if we got an answer, it doesn't solve the fact that we're here now. 
Which brings up the other thing I think we need to talk about is the condition that we find ourselves in. And the condition we find ourselves in is that we live in a fallen world. And, and because of that, there's all these problems that we have and all these situations that we have. And, and the Bible centers around this one particular word when it talks about the idea of the world we find ourselves in and the problems we find ourselves in. And it's the word sin. Now, whenever I use the word sin, for a lot of people, it makes you really uncomfortable. Right? And the reason it makes us so uncomfortable is because of the, the ideology that comes along with this, or maybe the messaging that we've heard around sin. So let me break it down for you, and let's start with this premise. Um, can we be honest with ourselves that whatever it is that's going on in this world and in our relationships and in our culture, it isn't working, right? It's messed up. And there's problems and there's faults and there's things that other people are doing. There's things that we're doing. And so we have kind of this broken system. And, and part of the conversation is we're trying to figure out, some of us, um, what's actually wrong with human beings. We're trying to figure out what is this human condition that we find ourselves in. And so we use all kinds of language and all kinds of ideas to kind of be able to talk about this, this world that we find ourselves in and the human condition that we find ourselves in. But this word in particular that the Bible uses, the word sin, now, the Greek language behind it, um, we've talked about this before, um, is an archery term. So archery is real big around here and all that. So it's absolutely the idea of just missing the mark, right? So if you're aiming for a target, you've missed the mark. And, and, and so that's kind of what this word talks about is that we haven't hit the target, right? And, and so hopefully we're, we're honest enough to say, you know what, there's certain areas of my life that I've missed the target, right? There's nobody in here like I'm batting a thousand, right? You know, like we've all missed the mark in some ways. And, and so I think the language is simply this, is that we're trying to figure out what's wrong with us as humans and why we find ourselves in these situations. But we don't like this word sin because it acknowledges that there might be a target we were actually trying to aim for. And that target was given to us through this divine image that we were created in. And see, part of the problem is this. The scriptures talk about sin is because they teach that we were created by a creator in an image to live lives in a certain way. And he created us in a way to be connected to himself, the source of goodness and truth and love, but also in a way to be connected to each other. But because of sin and missing the mark, we find ourselves disconnected from him, but also from each other. And there's the condition, and there's the world that we live in. So whose fault is it? I don't know. We just live in a world with all these problems and things that we have to deal with and go through. Now, let me give you a snapshot of the condition that we're in, in, in case you're not following what I'm, I'm laying down. So um, let me tell you this. I've been married for 16 years, 16 years to the most wonderful person, the kindest person that's ever walked the face of the planet. If you know my wife, you love my wife. Like she, she's amazing. She's a much better human being than I could ever hope to be. Now, with all of that, here's what I have to say. There are 8 billion people on the planet, okay? A little bit over 8 billion, Okay. Um, and I know maybe several hundred of them, maybe even a couple thousand people or whatever. Um, but here's what I know about the 8 billion people on the planet. They are really complicated because humans are really complicated, right? And, and I find myself, and, and maybe this is you, I find myself offending humans all the time. I've probably offended some of you. Like, I don't know if you guys track with this. We offend people. People offend us. Like, we're constantly rubbing against each other. Um, humans are very touchy. We're very easy to hurt. We're very easy to offend and get up all up in arms. Um, and, and so there's 8 billion of us, and so that can cause some complications. Um, but can I be honest with you? Um, 
after 16 years, you think that I could actually figure out one human being. And I haven't. Right? And she hasn't figured out me. And even after 16 years of marriage and, and loving her more than any other person on the planet outside maybe my children, like I still do things wrong. There are still days we get in fights. There are still days that we argue. There are still days where I find myself saying, I'm sorry. There are still days where I'll say, I don't know where that came from. But see, here's the thing. I do know where it came from. It came from the fact that I've thought it 800 times and finally my filter broke and it slipped out. Because that's the human condition. We're missing the mark. See, I actually want to be a good human being. I actually do. And I actually do want to try to be someone that actually honors God and brings him pleasure with my life. But here's the thing. There are these non-cooperating forces within me. There's something broken inside of me at times. And we keep trying to figure out who we're supposed to blame. And the Bible simply says, well, no, the problem is there's sin. There's this missing the mark. There's this issue, this condition that we all have to go through. So we often think of sin as being this idea related to condemnation. And condemnation is this interesting word in the Bible. You should study it sometimes. But, but, but here's what I see. Is, is sin is not about condemnation. It's actually a diagnosis for the human condition. So they're sitting there and they're like, okay, well, here's this guy. He's born with this kind of situation. So who's, whose fault is it? Whose sin is it? Jesus says it's not either his fault or his parents' fault. There's this interesting idea that a couple of times in the Bible, people, and we do this, we, we want to know why things happen. And, and like there's these towers that fall and some people get killed. And, and they're like, well, whose fault is that? And Jesus is like, it's not anybody's fault. It just happened. That's the world we live in. A fallen world because we've missed the mark. And Jesus goes on and he says, you know, you're going to give me two options. Is it his fault or his parents' fault? Well, let me give you a third option. You should never limit Jesus and his options. And so he says, this actually happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. Which is this interesting idea that sometimes there might be some things that we go through that God's actually going to use. And we don't like that, Right? We don't like that understanding. So Jesus is kind of moving them, and, and, and here's what he kind of says in, in modern language. What Jesus wants them to realize is what they see as the problem, God sees as the potential. See, they've been taught this man's blindness was proof that he had been abandoned by God, that he had been rejected by God. But Jesus wants to give them a new perspective. See, see, this condition that he is isn't a proof that he's been abandoned or rejected by God. This is actually going to be the place where he's going to meet him. So many times in our life, we think that God wants to write a story of our lives, but he can't write the story with the broken pieces. But you need to realize that God doesn't work around the mess that is you. He doesn't work around the brokenness in our lives. He works right through it. What Jesus is telling us is God is not incapable of taking our most tragic condition, our broken circumstances, and creating something extraordinary in the midst of it. 
See, I think the misunderstanding about Christianity is that we think that we have to have everything together and we have to have everything figured out and, again, to have all of our answers and all of these things. And then once we can prove ourselves, then God's able to use us and to show up in our lives and to do things with us. And I think what we want God to show up in our success and our talent and our ability and our wisdom and our strengths. We don't want God to show up in our brokenness and in our frail and desperate condition. But I love what Paul, who knew more about Jesus than I'll ever forget, and he says this, or he knew more than I'll ever, okay, you don't understand the saying. All right, Corinthians 12, he said to me, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. So when we're weak and frail, that's when God's power is able to be shown through us. So I'm very happy to brag about my weakness that Christ's power can live in me. So they're all standing around. Here's the blind guy. Here's Jesus and his disciples. And so they're having this kind of philosophical and theological conversation. And then this is why it's my favorite story. The most odd thing happens. Verse 6. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. You need to know saliva was in the Bible. And spread the mud all over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Now, I love the King James Version. I don't use it very often. But it said he spat and made spittle. And I love those words. All right. So he spat and he made spittle. All right. Do you remember that old saying we used to say, what would Jesus do? Apparently, sometimes he'd spit. Okay. And this is the, okay, and this is why I love this story, okay? This is a, okay, can we acknowledge this is weird? Can we just say it? Like, this is a weird story. And I'm about to make it even weirder. All right, so it says he spat on the ground. And he took the spit, and he took the dirt, and he made kind of this mud or this clay, and then he put it on the man's face. No context, and you're watching this. What are you thinking? See, um, it's, it's funny because I was looking this up because I've always wrestled with why did Jesus do this? And this is what I want to talk about. Why did Jesus do it this way? Um, if you look up in commentaries um, or theologians, they're funny at times. And so what they'll tell you is the reason Jesus did it this way is because it was divine spit. And I'm like, what? It was divine spit? So like, okay. So, okay, so here's the thing about spit. All right, and this is where people, I lose people sometimes, but just follow with me. All right, spitting is gross, right? It's kind of gross. Now, in Jesus' culture, it was beyond just gross, and maybe some of you grew up with this. Um, in their culture specifically, if you spat in front of somebody, not on somebody, but just even in front of somebody, it was an act of disrespect towards that person. And so here's the part I struggle with with this story. How much spit do you have to spit to make mud? <laughs> you ever thought about that? Like I could spit on some dirt right now and it would hit the ground and it would kind of dry out. But um, that's a lot of spit, isn't it? And so Jesus is spitting here. I don't know if you realize this about spit. All right. Um, you have spit in your mouth right now. We refer to it as saliva because it's still in our body, right? And here's what you need to know about saliva. Um, you, you have saliva in your mouth all the time. Um, you actually swallow your own spit or your saliva 500 to 700 times a day. Every two to four minutes, you're swallowing. Now, some of you are like, I do not, so you're going to stop swallowing. You shouldn't. It's bad for you, okay? So you don't even realize you're doing it. It's involuntary. Your body's just doing it. Now, now see, here, here's the thing. 
see, spits in your mouth, and it's not gross. It's just something we all have saliva in our mouth. It keeps, okay. But the moment it leaves my mouth, it becomes something else, doesn't it? And it's like it's not mine anymore, right? That doesn't belong to me. That's part of the universe now, right? And it's gross. So imagine this moment. They're standing there, and you're a blind guy. Again, not deaf. And you're standing there, and Jesus starts hawking some loogies. I don't know if he really did that. It's just the word we use. And he's spitting, and he's making mud. The two most base materials we can think of, and honestly, some of the dirtiest, grossest things we can think of. And he turns it into mud, and he walks over, and he puts it on the guy's face. If I'm the blind guy and I hear Jesus spitting, I think I'd be like, yeah, I'm out. I'll take my chances with the next guy that comes along. But here's the misunderstanding. He stands there and he, he waits. How desperate do you have to be that you would let someone take mud that they've made out of their spit and put on their face? How much are you looking for? See, I'll let God fix me, but I want God to fix me in the way that I choose. And I want it to be in the timing that I choose, in the way that I choose, in the environment that I choose. And God's like, well, no, it's not really how it works sometimes. Now, it's interesting is in this whole exchange, I don't know if you picked up on the language. Jesus never told him he was going to heal him. Did you catch that? This whole time, this guy's standing there, this exercise is going on, they're having the discussion, he's making the mud out of his spit, he never tells the guy, now just stand there for a second because something amazing is about to happen, but this guy, he trusts Jesus, and he stands there through the whole thing. Now what's interesting about that is, is that something is going to happen. We're going to find out next week, or you can just read your Bibles during the week if you want to know. But Jesus is trusted by this guy. A couple of things I think we can acknowledge from this story. First of all, that whatever your brokenness is, doesn't matter whose fault it is or what happened, is that God can take the hard, painful things in our life, and if we are willing and trust, he can work through those things. Jesus takes this blind man, and I don't care what you walked in here with today. I can guarantee you to this point, your life has probably not been as hard as it might have been on him. And here's this intimate moment, although be it gross, this intimate moment where he allows God to work through his pain and his circumstance. And he does, and he lets him. It may not always look the way that you wanted or the way that you thought it was going to work, and it may be a little unconventional at times, but God can work through all of it. But here's why I really want to bring up this story. See, I want to give you a new perspective that maybe you've never thought about. See, when you hear Jesus' stories and his parables, but even his real healings, a lot of times we try to relate to one of the characters in the story. And, and so, you know, for some people, you're, you're the blonde guy, like you're, you're desperate and you're hurting and Jesus comes along and Jesus is going to heal you and heal your life and give you hope for the first time. And it's like this amazing story. But for some of us, we've already been the blonde guy. We've already been the guy that was blonde and now we see and now we're following Jesus. And so here's the question is that maybe 
maybe we're not the blonde guy. Maybe, just maybe, we're meant to be the dirt and the spit. What do I mean by that? See, I ask myself, why did he do it this way? Why did he use what he used? See, we know from an earlier story that there's a blind guy and he just touches him and he's healed. We see other stories where Jesus is not even in the same area as the person and can speak the words and the person is healed. So while of this spit, while all of this dirt, right? And here's what I think. There's this pattern in scripture where God often uses the unexpected, the unpredicted, the least of these things. He uses these things that we wouldn't think that he would use in order to show who he actually is. And see, when we think about spit and dirt, and maybe you've never put this together, that's what we're made up of, right? We're dirt, we're dust, with some spit, some saliva, some water. And maybe if Jesus in this moment can use some dirt and some spit to bring sight to somebody, then maybe, just maybe, he can use me. Maybe he can use you. And maybe we need to recognize that sometimes we're just a little water and a little dirt. But when we get put in God's hands and we allow him to use us, it's amazing what he can do. And maybe, just maybe, he can use us to set others free and to give sight to the blind. Maybe he can use us to show people that there is beauty in this life, that there is love of a father who loves you unconditionally, and there is hope in this world. So simply, the question is, can our lives be tools he uses to make a difference in this world? Can we be the catalyst for an invitation to someone to come and see what Jesus can do in their life? guy goes to the pool, washes it off, and something amazing happens. But it upsets a lot of people. See, sometimes when God works in our lives, people don't understand it. And there's a whole series of questions that come with that, but I don't have time to talk about it today. So if you want to know what happens next, you'll just have to come back next week. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you, and God, I pray that we realize the love that you give, the grace that you give, the mercy that you give, the way that you can work even in the most painful and hard things in our life. And God, for some of us, um, this whole series is just about this invitation to come and see. And as we ended last week, God, sometimes that's an invitation from us. And God, we look at our lives, and, and, and God, we, we look at the brokenness of ourselves sometimes. And sometimes, maybe some of us, we just feel like a little bit of dirt and a little bit of spit. There's not much to us. But God, this amazing story is of not the elements, it's of you and what you're able to do through those things. And so for some of us, God, maybe it's just the openness and the awareness that there's a spirit that runs through in us. There's a power that runs through in us, God, and, and you can do amazing things, which is the simplest of things, including us sometimes, to offer hope and to grace. And God, there's a whole world because of the condition we find ourselves in that's not just physically blind, but spiritually and emotionally blind. And God, maybe we can be the tools to help them see. And so God, we love you. We thank you for the grace. We thank you for the mercy. We thank you for the hope.